Father, thank you for church. Thank you for our rich legacy and heritage. Thank you that today we could talk about the slave church and how there were men and women who went into their cabins or into the brush and they began to worship you. They would go to their slave masters and other individuals and even ask about the gospel, ask about Jesus. I thank you for abolitionists who sought to dethrone slavery and to see a more blessed community develop. Thank you, Lord, for that history, even though there are many, many painful aspects to that history. In the midst of it, there's also glory. You were there, and we thank you that just as you were there, you are here, and you're walking us through modern-day history, and you still reign. This is your story. And as we sang today, uh, we win in the end, and so we can act like the victorious overcomers that we are right now. And one way to do that is to know what you've said in your word. So teach us now your word. Help me, Lord, as I paint a picture of one of the men of God that you use greatly in that day that's still affecting us this day. Brother Titus, we love you today, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1962, President John F. Kennedy established a group that would come to be known as the Navy SEALs. He did this in 1962, and the SEALs, which stands for Sea, Air, and Land Teams, are special operations forces uniquely trained to function in all environments and climates. The SEALs go through rigorous training so that they can withstand the frost of the north, or they can withstand the humidity of a jungle, or the heat of a desert. SEALs pursue, capture, and take down elusive, dangerous, and high-priority terrorist targets all over the world. Their mode of operation is to get in and to get out. Movies like Zero Dark Thirty and American Sniper have brought much attention to a group that is usually secretive because they like to come in by way of stealth, very much under the radar to handle their business. And as I began to research this this past week, I realized from my research that only men can be SEALs. I was like, wow, that's very, very interesting. And I don't know why women are not SEALs, but men are SEALs. And today I want to introduce you to a SEAL. He is someone that you would not really think of as a SEAL because he lived long before the SEALs were established in 1962. But I see various comparisons between him and the assignments and the special operations that today's SEALs go on. So today I want to introduce you to Titus, God's Navy SEAL. Yes, I want to introduce you to Titus because he would receive so many assignments special operations from his commanding officer, the Apostle Paul. 
And he would not only go on these missions, go on these assignments, but he would execute them properly. And then he would return for another assignment and he would go out. And this man was like a Navy SEAL, in my opinion. In Titus chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So this letter, which may have been written around A.D. 64, 65, is addressed to a young minister who is on the island of Crete, and he's been given an assignment that we'll learn about in weeks to come. And this young man is a son of the great apostle Paul, a spiritual son, meaning that Paul was his spiritual father. You know, it's good to have spiritual fathers. It's good to have spiritual mothers. But today in our individualistic society, if you were to ask people, who's your spiritual father, who's your spiritual mother, a lot of people would say they don't have one. But in the tradition of our Christian faith, where we're to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, where we're to have people over us as well as people walking with us, it is prudent for us to have spiritual moms and dads. And for Titus, his spiritual father was the great apostle, Paul. And Titus' name means honor. We've got a couple of kids in the church named Titus. Years ago, I did a couple of preachings on Titus, and uh, the Lennox family named one of their kids Titus. And then uh, uh, Tony and Stephanie named their son Titus. And so it's a wonderful name. It means honor. And when I think about a soldier, I'm thinking about a man or a woman who is a person of honor. And this man, Titus, as we will see in weeks to come, but especially today, he's a person of honor. He was like a Navy SEAL. He would receive an assignment, take care of that assignment, no matter where it was, and he would do it with excellence and report back. And so I want to do a profile, a scriptural profile of Titus. One of the ways to find out about a person is just let the scriptures tell us who they are. And Titus is one of those people I think, I know for me, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about him. I may come to his book and I read his book. It's, a, again, a powerful book, even though it's very small. But this man played an important role in the movement of the early church and its establishment in the then known world. And so I want to take you on a journey with me to find out who this seal is by the name of Titus. And so his first assignment was in Antioch, in Antioch. So in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, in this church that was probably the first multiracial church on the scope of Christianity. The first church in Jerusalem was primarily a Hebrew church, but this church was comprised of Jews and Gentiles in its leadership. There were Europeans as well as Africans who took part in this church's leadership along with Jews like Paul. And so it's a beautiful picture. No wonder the Bible says they were called Christians first in Antioch. Well, in that church, in that environment, Titus is there. 
So in Acts 15, 1, it says, and certain men came down from Judea, came down to Antioch, according to the context of the book of Acts. They came down and they taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So stop and pause. Gentiles are coming into the kingdom at an astronomical rate. And so there are Jews who are at the mother church in Jerusalem who are fresh out of Phariseeism, who've accepted Christ, but they have yet to lay down the law of Moses. So they're holding on to circumcision as well as the cross. So they still have a lot of growing to do. And it's hard for them to shake all of the laws and the rituals of Judaism now. And so they heard about all these Gentiles coming to faith. So they left the mother church and came over to Antioch and started teaching the people there, you've got to be circumcised, you Gentiles, if you're really going to be saved. Well, Acts 15, verse 2, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So now we have the Jerusalem council that's, a, that's about to happen in Acts 15, where they leave Antioch to go to Jerusalem to deal with this question, does a Gentile have to be circumcised to be a Christian? So you say, Pastor, what does this have to do about Titus? Well, as you see in verse 2, it says that there were certain others who accompanied Paul on this trip back to Jerusalem, and Titus was one of those others. Because we see once they get to Jerusalem, which is the second assignment, Galatians 2.1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Where did he meet Titus? At the church in Antioch. Where did he become his spiritual father? At the church in Antioch. So now they're in Jerusalem. Paul takes Titus with him. Galatians 2.2, and I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Mm. So now we learn a little bit about Titus. He was a Greek or a Gentile. He was not Jewish. He was a convert to Christianity. He knew Jesus Christ as his Savior. And so when people tried to pressure him with law, Titus would not be compelled or give in to their legalistic requirements. So this tells me that this man was secure in who he was in Jesus Christ. He was secure in the gospel so that when people brought works to him or tried to put him under a yoke of bondage that Jesus did not put on him or would put under over him, he refused to let people put him under that. And so today, I just want to know, are you secure enough in the gospel, secure enough in the finished work of Jesus that you don't let anyone, any church, any preacher, any movement, any denomination put you under a, a yoke of rules, ritual, and performance-based acceptance. Baptism is a beautiful thing, but don't you dare let somebody tell you you have to be baptized to be saved. 
Some of us speak in tongues. It's a beautiful thing. But don't you dare let somebody put you under a belief that says unless you speak in tongues, you're not right with Jesus. The church is a wonderful thing. But don't let anybody tell you unless you are a part of their church, you are not truly a part of Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's the good news. And so Titus, oh, he knew who he was in the gospel. I like him already. His third assignment, we see him in Troas. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Furthermore, Paul writes, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me, by the Lord. Isn't it good when he opens up doors? I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. So Paul, he's in Troas and God's opened up a door for him and he sees God working, but he can't find Titus while he's in Troas. So there's an understanding that my spiritual son and as he says here, my brother is in Troas. But since I can't find him, I won't walk through the door that God has opened for me here because I value our relationship so much. Because, man, we work well together. I, I, I want to work with him. And if I got to work by myself, I don't want to work. So if I can't find my boy here, and I like how he also calls him my brother. That's why I say, what's up, Charles? My brother. It's a biblical. That's where I get it from right here. You know, my brother. So you see, these guys had a good relationship. And he said, I, I can't go forward if I can't go forward with my friend. Husbands and wives, your spouse is to be your best friend. And there may be many open doors for a new job or to relocate or to go to a church or to do this or to do that. But if you can't go in unison, maybe you're not supposed to go at all. Maybe you need to wait for your spouse to get on board with what you see God is doing. In other words, we don't win unless we win together. It's not that I win and you lose. No, we win. And so you see in this partnership, man, that was a, a, a camaraderie in these guys. And then Paul received a vision to go to Macedonia. So he's in Troas, can't find Titus, but God sends him a vision of a man saying, come over here to Macedonia and help us. So now he has specific direct revelation from God because God is speaking to him through a dream. So he gets up and he goes to Macedonia. And so that is now the fourth assignment, Macedonia. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, for indeed, when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Within Macedonia is a colony called Philippi. While he was in Philippi, he and Silas got arrested for speaking the truth of the gospel. They were not only arrested, they had been beaten, and then they had been put into the inner jail. And so when Paul's talking about when we came into Macedonia, it was tough. But uh, late in the midnight hour, God turned it around for them because they began to worship and sing while they were locked and, and beaten in prison. And God opened up the prison doors through their praise and worship. But Paul is saying, man, it was tough while we were there. Second Corinthians 7, 6. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. 
So when Titus came into Macedonia because he couldn't find Paul in Troas, he probably heard Paul was looking for him. So where did he go? He went into Macedonia. He goes into Macedonia knowing, not knowing that his friend has suffered for the gospel. And Paul says, look, look, yes, I'm an apostle. I try to be spiritual, but man, I get down sometimes and I need sometimes people in my life to help encourage me in the Lord. And Paul writes by his own hands that when Titus came to town, his spirits were lifted. Do you have friends like that when they come into your house or they come to town, they give you a call, it lifts your spirits? You know, that, that, that man, when, when they reach out to you, oh, man, you feel good. Um, I have quite a few friends like that. One of them is Sherman Smith, who lives in Seattle, Washington. And during the football season, he coaches for the Seattle Seahawks. And we don't talk a whole lot because he works 70-hour uh, weeks during the football season. He gets up at 4 in the morning. He's out of his house by 4.45, and he's there practicing and working with guys and coaching, gets home late. And so during the season, we don't talk a whole lot. But once that last play at the Super Bowl went down, me and Sherman were talking. And my wife knows whenever Sherman calls, no matter what I'm doing, she wants me to take the call because she knows how he encourages my soul. So do you have friends like that? But let me flip it for you. Are you a friend like that? When you show up, do you suck all the air out the room? Or do you give life in the room? The thing about Christ is that Christ gives life. Adam takes life away. When we were in Adam and we were selfish, it was all about us. We sucked the life out of the room. But now that we're in Christ and it's all about him, we ought to be life-giving spirits like Jesus. Oh, boy, some folk, when you see them coming, it's like, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I got enough time for this sister or this brother. But that was not the way with these two guys. Oh, whoo. Well, his fifth assignment was Corinth. That's where Titus went after Macedonia, 2 Corinthians 8, 6. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. What is Paul talking about? Well, the Corinthian people were very wealthy. They not only had all of the spiritual gifts, they also had a lot of money. And they had made a verbal pledge to help the persecuted believers in Jerusalem. Many of the Jewish Christians were suffering. They were being persecuted. And so Paul had orchestrated an offering to be taken, money to be taken, to be sent to the poorer Christians in Jerusalem. The church at Corinth made a verbal pledge, we will give money. But like a lot of Christians who make pledges, they didn't follow through on their pledge when it came time to give. And so Paul had to send Titus, God's Navy SEAL, into Corinth to get from the people what they pledged to give. Mm -mm -mm -mm. So when he gets there, he's urging them to complete this grace as well. Just don't talk about what you're going to give. Give what you said you're going to give. In verse 23, he says, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. In other words, I'm vouching for him. This is my man. This is my dude. This is my homeboy. 
He's credible. He's with me. Because I know some of y'all don't want to give your money and you're worrying about what he's going to do with the money. Is he going to take the money away? But that's why Paul said there's another brother who's going to be with him who's going to carry the offering so that you don't think he's going to steal the money, which, as Christie said, it's God's money anyway. And then in verse 18 of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, he says, I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? In other words, he's a man of integrity, just like I am a man of integrity. He's one of my sons. He's my brother. He's my partner. If you can trust me, you can also trust Titus. And then he had a sixth assignment, and that was in Crete, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this reason, I left you, Titus, in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now he's got this assignment. He just came from getting money from some stingy, wealthy Christians. Now he's got to go into Crete, which is an island in the Mediterranean, and work with people who were once pirates and mercenaries, people who have come to faith in Christ when Paul and Titus were there ministering. Then Paul says, I'm leaving to go elsewhere, but I'm leaving you here, my seal, to set things in order, to tell the older women to teach the younger women how to love their husbands, to teach the older men how to be sober and humble, to teach the young men how to have zeal for God, to teach slaves how to obey their masters. I, I'm going to leave you in this environment. I want you to get these churches organized. And I want you to disciple men to be elders, to be good leaders. I need you to give them some good doctrine, some good teaching. And I need you to encourage them to be about good works because God, our Savior, is coming again. So he accepted that assignment. And I love how Paul says, as I commanded you to do this, because like a good soldier, he followed Paul as Paul followed Christ and he obeyed commands that were given to him from his spiritual father and brother, the apostle Paul. Oh my, what a man. But then he had another assignment. His seventh assignment was in Nicopolis, Titus chapter three, verse 12. Paul, as he gets to the end of the book, he says, now when I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to winter there. Now, these are verses we just normally just read right over to get on to the next book, Philemon. But there's so much meat in this verse right here, because in this verse, you see a succession plan and a Sabbath plan. Pastor, what you talking about? You see a succession plan, because Paul is like, I'm not going to leave you in there for good. Once you take care of business like a Navy SEAL, I need you to come out because I got other work for you to do. So I'm going to send somebody to take your place, either Tychicus or Artemis. One of them will take your place. I haven't quite decided yet because I need you to come on out once you set stuff in order with this special operation and mission that I've called you to. Now, we don't know how long it took for him to get this place together, but nevertheless, Paul said, I am sending for you. So it's a succession plan. Every pastor, whether or not that pastor wants to admit it, is temporary. Somebody one day is going to replace me. 
And so it's wise for the elders right now to begin thinking about a succession plan. Now, I hope to go out, you know, long time from now. But, man, who knows what God, and what happens if something were to happen to me, you know, I got injured or I became, you know, I, I couldn't come to church or, God forbid, I passed away unexpectedly. Strong Tower needs to have a plan of who's going to take over in the leadership. And those are things the elders are working on right now. My, my, my. But not only a succession plan, but also a Sabbath plan. Pastor, what's up? Paul is wintering in Nicopolis. Wintering means he's docked his ship. What do you mean? When ships would dock, they would dock in the winter. Because during the winter, they couldn't travel. It was dangerous to travel. So they would dock during the inclement months so that the crew could rest, so that you could unload the cargo and then load on new cargo. And so Paul is saying, I have chosen to winter or to dock because, yes, I'm an apostle, and, yes, I run around, and I get locked up, I get beaten, but everybody needs to take a Sabbath because that's an aspect of worship that gets overlooked so often. So I got to take me a break. I got to rest for a minute. And when I rest, I want you to come rest with me. You know you got to be close with somebody when you want them to go on vacation with you. Because everybody, you can't take on vacation with you because that's work. But your chill friends, oh, let's go. Because, man, there's no pressure. These two men, oh, boy, they vacationed together. They wintered together. Once again, do you have friends like this? Are you a friend like this? Even on your business, on your job, you're not eternal. Yes, you'll live with Christ eternally, but, man, your life is like a vapor. Does your business have a succession plan? Does your organization have a succession plan? In case something happened to you, the leader, what will that organization do in your absence? Paul said, we've got this thing taken care of. And then finally, his eighth assignment was Dalmatia. You know a lot about a person by what they talk about right before they die. In 2 Timothy, Paul is about to die. And he's giving Timothy, another one of his sons, his final will. And he says in verses 9 and 10 of 2 Timothy 4, he says to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. So Paul knows the whereabouts of the soldiers under his care. And he's like one of them even defected and went back into the world, Demas. But I know where this soldier is, I know where that soldier is, and I know where Titus is. He's heading for Dalmatia to do the work of the Lord. He's God's seal. Oh, my. I love this kind of stuff. So today, I just wanted you to meet Titus, just to do a brief thumbnail through Scripture, just to find a little bit more about this man before we begin digging into the letter that Paul wrote to him. We see that he was a spiritual son and brother of Paul. That's not too bad. He was a Gentile who was secure in the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ. He was a trustworthy man full of integrity, and he was a minister who handled every assignment given to him. Wow, what a man of God. And like a Navy SEAL, 
Titus could be trusted to handle these special ops. In a sense, he was the first super soldier because he was a soldier of the Lord and he engaged in the good warfare using spiritual weapons to see people come from death to life. So he was, in a sense, a super soldier in the Lord's army who handled all these different assignments, at least eight that we know of, that caused him to go from various city to colony to island to place. But God hasn't called all of us to be super soldiers. But he has called all of us to be good soldiers. You see, every soldier can't make it as a seal. Some soldiers can't handle the training. They can't handle the requirement and the commitment but that doesn't mean they're not good soldiers. So we may not be able to do all these things that this man of God did and the things we're going to learn about him, but man, Lord, would you help me to be a good soldier? We sang today, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Lord, I want to be a good soldier for you. And I believe the best way to be a good soldier is simply to make ourselves available. Because the best ability is still availability. So as we make ourselves available to our ultimate commanding officer, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. The Lord then says, I got you. And he has uniquely gifted us to do assignments that have our name on it and not someone else's. So as we walk through this book, let's be available to the Lord. As we walk through life, Lord, we make ourselves available to you. We are soldiers in your army. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Titus. Thank you for recording some of his whereabouts and his duties in your word. Wow. What a man of God. No wonder Paul loved him so. Lord, I pray that you would raise up modern day men and women who reflect the character and even the activities of this man. No, we may not be able to go that far and do all the things he did, but, Lord, we can be good soldiers for your sake. So help us, Lord, to count the cost of what it means to be in your army. The great thing about being in your army is that we didn't choose you. You chose us. You drafted us by your grace, and we're in this. And your spirit is in us, and he is greater than any foul, ungodly, unclean spirit that is in the world. We're soldiers whether we want to admit it or not. And rather than wearing combat boots, special spy gear lord we're dressed in the righteousness of jesus we have on the helmet of salvation we have on the breastplate of his righteousness we have the shield of his peace we have the belt of god's truth on we have the gospel shoes of peace upon our feet so father may we walk like who we are may we talk like who we are we're soldiers just like titus and we pray this boldly in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Let's see here. I need to get someone to close us in prayer. Uh, Jim Crow, my buddy, would you come on up and close us in prayer? Everybody stand to your feet, stand to your feet. Next week, we're going to learn a little bit more about Paul. So we're just going to walk through the book, have a good time. Again, don't forget to get onto the app, download it if you have it, uh, show up on Wednesday night, bring some food. Let's, let's have a good time. The church is the answer, always has been, always will be for what's going on in the world.
But if we can't get together in here, we can't expect the world to get together out there. If we can't model for the world how to be one but not the same, the world will never get it. So don't stay home. Don't, don't take the easy route. Don't be afraid. Let's come together and let's pack the house and enjoy one another's presence. That's on the 25th of February. Dr. Crow, my friend, would you lead us in our closing prayer? Lord, we thank you for the time uh, just to be in the room together as your body that you brought us here and you chose us. We didn't choose ourselves. You brought us here. And thank you for the time to reflect on our history, our, our common history in this country and um, to celebrate that and to mourn that and to know our history and, um, and just to be friends together and uh, worship together and just like Paul and Titus, uh, the barriers of this world, Jew and Gentile, uh, are, are no real barrier in your kingdom. That These are brothers that uh, you brought together. We want to celebrate our brothers and sisters and love and hug in the way that you show us in your word that um, Paul longed for Titus and loved him more than a family member, that it was his closest uh, brother in those times. I thank you for the songs. Uh, thank you for the the Bible, your word, all of these things speaking together to tell us um, that you have a, a one vision, one body, uh, one baptism, one word, and it doesn't pass. I thank you that we got to share that today and to know it and um, pray that you'd use us uh, knowing this and singing these songs and reading these words to go out and tell other people about it this week. We pray in Jesus' name.